Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, and welcome back to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate, and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer, and I'm joined today by my colleague and Power Hour producer, John Pop. John, how are you today? Uh, Jack, if I was any better, you know, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. It's just been a wonderful day, and here at the Heritage Foundation, as almost every day is, so. That's good. Yes. I, I'm a little bit sad. Summer's coming to an end. Uh-oh. Uh, but and, isn't fall yeah. good for you? You're outdoor guy, hunter. It is, but. Sportsman. <laughs> you can be both sad that summer's coming to an end and happy that fall is right around the corner. And that's what what, what how I would describe myself. Okay. What I want to know from you is, what was your highlight of the summer? Oh, boy. Wow. Let me think. I'll be honest with you. Uh, It was that my daughter was home uh, from school for most of the summer. And because, just a really quick explanation, she did a a fellowship at at a place in, in Warrington. And so, Warrington, Virginia, and she was going to stay at a hotel there, but my wife researched it and it was a really bad hotel. So we said... we uh, get, A fun uh, hotel, it sounds like. Well, let me just put it this way. One of her, and this is not a joke, one of her fellow students in the, in the fellowship, in the guy next to him in his room committed suicide in the hotel. We are like... Well, that makes my joke seem... <laughs> didn't age well. But we're like... Dear, you are not staying in that hotel. You will stay home. But we had a wonderful time having my daughter. So that was my highlight. I was hoping your highlight was going to be doing this podcast, but whatever. Well, that too, of course. It's always my funnest time of the day, if that's a word. Do you have things that you're looking forward to for the fall? Like, is there one or do you have any fall plans that you're looking forward to? Well, uh, we always enjoy going to, even though my daughter has flown, we, we like going to the pumpkin patch. There's a place near us to go to get pumpkins and all the good fall stuff, and that's mm-hmm. fun. And we decorate, you know, around the house. We don't go crazy, but, you know, some stuff out on the front porch and, and stuff like that. Just a good yeah. time. Yep. We do that, too. We, we do go a little bit crazy, though. Um, but whatever. Those pumpkins, by the way, are the most expensive pumpkins on at at the fall festivals at the oh yeah Did, at the yuppie farms what what i heard too jack is that because of we haven't gotten a lot of rain the pumpkins are going to be smaller and more expensive mm-hmm. so get we ready. call the that, that's biden pumpkins right there <laughs> they, they keep shrinking and yeah. the price goes up yeah, yes making pumpkins Pum- uh, an elitist we call uh, amenity biden pumpkin inflation mm. right exactly <laughs> now my highlight was the rv trip that oh, we yeah. talked about here. It yeah. was a lot of fun. And um, this weekend is going to be another highlight for me. I'm headed to Bristol, Tennessee to a to a NASCAR race. Oh, my gosh. And I'm driving that, that same RV down there with my brother-in-law. Oh, my We're going to camp for a few days. And uh, yeah, I, 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 talk, I, I referenced, or you used the word mountain man in reference to me. I said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's not what I really am more than anything is a redneck. There you go. I'm a redneck. That brings me to a, a, a loop I need to close. We talked about a few weeks ago the um, 
the groundhog that I killed. And I promised oh, people yeah. that I would give a report on how it tasted, and I, I never did that. Um, it tasted good, but it was chewy. It was, uh, I, the next groundhog I kill, um, I'm going to take a different cooking method, and I think that it will be, uh, you know, palate-wise it was fine, but I, it wouldn't be something you would serve to a, you know, on a, on a fancy date You have or to, like, like marinate it or something like that to, you know. <laughs> need, need to do something. Put it in the smoker. <laughs> Just putting it on the grill didn't do it, I'll tell didn't you Didn't work, huh? By the way, you're going to Bristol, uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. Yes. Yes, I used to go down there to cover a race all the time for my last job. Are you going down for the night race? Or what race are you yeah. doing? What, yeah. Well, the, I, well I'll, hit, I'll hit what we call, because I, I go to NASCAR races every year. Oh, yeah. The big race and the little race. So the little race would be the the not full NASCAR big yeah, car series. Right. And then the NASCAR race is the next night. And oh, so it's then, awesome. Yeah. I love Bristol. It's so much fun. Enjoy, you, please. You can feel the, the beads of, 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 of rubber hitting you in <laughs> rubber the face. Rubber in the face. Got Nothing better. Nothing now, better. Now we we haven't done our our housekeeping yet. So right. first, our email address is thepowerhour at heritage.org. That's thepowerhour at heritage.org. Shoot me an email. I'm lonely here at the Power Hour. If you like what we're doing, let us know. If you think we can do better, let us know that. Again, that's thepowerhour at heritage.org. Now, John. How can folks find us other than just stumbling onto us like they may be doing right now? Well, we are under the Herd It Heritage podcast umbrella here at the Heritage Foundation. So just Google or Bing or whatever, DuckDuckGo, Herd It Heritage, The Power Hour. You can find it where you get all your podcasts. And please subscribe to The Power Hour and share it with your friends if you can. Thank you. There, not if you can, just do it. And leave, us a, leave us a nice review, too. Yes. Yes, we'll read those. Now, as a reminder, I'm trying to get folks involved. Now, we're going to be talking about international energy and environmental issues next week and the linkages between a robust economy, a clean environment, and access to affordable energy. So if you have any questions in that area or even adjacent to that area, you just have a question, let me know. I'll make sure we ask our guest. Now, I mentioned earlier that it was a little sad that summer's coming to an end. Now, John, you know what else might be coming to an end? What? Those RV trips oh. and NASCAR races that I mentioned. No. I know that you must be asking, what in the world do I mean by that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if President Biden has his way, that's exactly what's going to happen. Biden and his power-hungry band of busybodies in Washington are literally trying to ban internal combustion engines. Uh our best friends over at the Environmental Protection Agency and the National Highway Transportation Administration are right now, as we speak, working on plans to make purchasing a new internal combustion car virtually impossible for everyday Americans. Now, of course, the rich ones yeah. north of, of Richmond, whatever they're calling them now, they'll have their fancy cars, but the rest of us are going to be riding around on battery-powered skateboards. <laughs> So no more cross-country trips, no more roaring NASCAR races. Uh, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do, John? I don't know, I, I don't know but it, it's un-American, I'll tell you that much. I'll tell you what we're going to do. What are we going to do? We're going to save our cars. Yes. And you know what? Yes. We have absolutely the best guest. I know I always say this, but I'm dead serious. <laughs> the best guest in the world with us today to do just that. This gentleman. Now, use that word loosely, mind you. Wow. This, this gentleman <laughs> has a visceral disdain for the politicians and bureaucrats that try to control every aspect of our lives that is comparable to my own. He brings a plethora of experience from Capitol Hill and the private sector. 
He is not only the president of the Institute for Energy Research and the American Energy Alliance, but he has just rolled out a major initiative that brings together a broad coalition of organizations to do what? Go ahead. Save. To save our cars. Yes. I present to our power, our audience, literally one of my best friends in Washington, one of my favorite people, not even favorite people in Washington, one of my favorite people, point blank, Mr. Tom Pyle. Tom, <laughs> welcome to the Power Hour. Well, I am humbled and honored to join you, Jack Spencer, and one of my favorite movies is Days of Thunder, so I'm <laughs> no looking more. forward to seeing, uh, getting the, the, the readout of your experience up in Bristol. Oh, so, so Robin is racing, baby. Robin is racing. <laughs> days of Thunder will be days of a quiet spring rain. Yeah, that's what, yeah that's no what. kidding. <laughs> so so how, we've talked about our summer. What, what have you been up to? How's your summer been? Well, we actually had a great trip in Colorado. We hit the Colorado River uh, and went rafting for a couple few nights. The kids, uh, we got to camp out right on the beach. Nice. Look up at the stars, see all these shooting stars, Milky Way type deal. Cool. It was hot. Yeah. It was hot. Global warming. All that climate change. But... <laughs> Wait, it's summer though. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Wait, no. Summer? Is that a thing anymore? It used not to be. Okay. Anyway, so it was a great trip, and we spent a little time with the grandma who lives in Vegas um, and, you know, popped around here and there, but uh, we had a good time. Is it your mother in Vegas? Yeah. Are you from Vegas? Nope. Oh. I'm from everywhere, man. I'm like okay. Johnny Cash. I nice. was born in western New York okay. near Buffalo, mm -hmm. and then we moved out to California, went to school in southern California, and then came to D.C. like an idiot. Right out of college mm -hmm. and been here ever since. So nice. that's going on thirty years, if you can believe it. So when we um, when we did our RV trip, we also we didn't plan on going to Vegas. But we got out there, and uh, it, literally we were leaving or getting ready to leave where we were. You could take a right and go to Salt Lake City, or take a left and go to Vegas. I asked my wife and my daughters, like, you guys want to go to Vegas for a couple of days? They were like, yeah, let's do that. So we did that. Then went, we went to Salt Lake City. So we got a couple of days of... Bet uh, on black. <laughs> Bet on black. Vegas has changed a lot, I'll tell you. Because when I was in college, I used to go, and it was just... The airport was miles away from the Strip. Yeah. And now everything is just completely compact. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, some things are better, some things are worse. But ironically, my parents moved there after they from California after they retired because... They got sick of paying California prices, yeah. and they moved out there, and they pay way less for their energy, their gas, their electricity. They got a nice big pool, and now they've got folks like us have an incentive to visit <laughs> right. them more right. often, so right. they made a pretty good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I lo I lo my wife and I got married in Vegas, so uh, I, we... Met that earlier that night and perfect. Yeah. Did you go? <laughs> did you go to what, Jack, did you go to wedding chapel. We did. Oh, yeah, we did. That's awesome. I want to see pictures. We we had been dating though for ten years. Oh, okay. okay. That. So it wasn't me. that spontaneous. Yes. So, no, no. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you've been in this business for nearly how long? Did you say thirty years? I've been in D.C. for that 30. long. Yeah, yeah, in various roles. But what, I've been running the institute for about fifteen years now. It's, it's been a big chunk of my life. What is the institute? Tell us just a we little are, bit about it. We are basically a, a free market, pro-free market, pro-affordable, reliable energy. I mean, basically, if policies are oriented to the free market where people make the decisions about what types of energy they use, what types of products they use, what types of cars they drive, usually you get better outcomes. 
more efficiency, and I know you're on this JAG, better environment. Right. And so that's what we fight for for the Institute is to get the government out of the energy business. I don't see anywhere in the Constitution where it says thou shall, the, the federal government shall determine what mode of transportation right. Americans should be choosing. Right. And that's where we are today. They yeah. have micromanaged this space, the energy space, the, 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 the transportation sector now to the point where they're making the decisions about what stoves we can we can purchase for our homes what uh you know ceiling fans what types of refrigerators now this and the reason we launched this coalition which heritage is is a part of and we thank you very much is this is the mother of all battles mm -hmm. in my opinion because the 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 ability to own a car is your first step towards freedom mobility right this is this is central to the american way of life we're a big country we have lots of rural areas suburban areas we don't just live in you know like the left wants us to be crammed into these tiny little areas where we just you know pick, grab a subway or grab a bus or whatever uh, and that's not what we're about in this country right. a, a lot of our workers rely on a truck rely on a car for their for their livelihoods um, and and so we see we've already seen impacts of this agenda by the left and by the greens and by their buddies in Washington and Sacramento and things like that we've already seen the impacts of that the average price of a car right now is as high as it's ever been it's approaching fifty thousand dollars for a regular for a conventional car it's higher for an EV mm-hmm so they want us to to drive cars that are even more expensive mm -hmm. than the ones that they're trying to eliminate at this point. And what is that doing? It's pricing people out of the purchase field. It is and and who are those people? The least of uh, amongst us who have the least, I should say. The the poor people, people on fixed incomes, people who are trying to get their first job, you know, people like I'll give you a, a real example. We had a, a, a housekeeper who started in this country legally from Colombia, and she started cleaning houses, but she could only, she couldn't bring all of her equipment, all of her cleaning equipment. She asked us, can you please provide the vacuum and everything else because I have to take the metro. I can't carry all this stuff. When she got her first car, she could do more jobs. Mm -hmm. She could do more homes. She could bring all that stuff. Then she started hiring people. Ten years later, this woman has her own business, her own house cleaning business that she runs, and she bought a butcher shop. Mm -hmm. and, and she told me, point blank, if I didn't have that car, I wouldn't have been able to have that head start mm -hmm. in my career, and I wouldn't have been able to put my kids through college. So this is a real issue for people. And these guys in Washington and Sacramento and everything, all they're doing is just sitting around in rooms trying to micromanage based on this CO2 you know, this quest to eliminate CO2. There are, we can get into this, but there are a whole host of reasons why this is a bad idea. Yeah, well, we should get into it. I want, I want to mention one thing, though, that's relevant to what you just said, is that everything you said is absolutely true, and you gave a great specific example, but all the academic research shows how important cars are to people in all, in, in all low-income situations to raising themselves up out of that 
and that if you don't have access to a car, it's a sure way to stay there. That's right. And that um, that this administration that, that any that any administration or group of people or whatever would cloak themselves in words like social justice and equity, and that the actual impact of their policies is to create greater distance between the rich and the poor, to keep people poor, to keep people dependent. It's just unbelievable to me that they're able to get away with it, yet somehow, I'm not saying they're they've gotten away with a lot up till now. I think, though, that one of the reasons they've been able to is that the United States has such a robust economy. We're so energy abundant that it gives you a lot of wiggle room. You can do a lot of screwing up before the rubber really meets the road. And something like this, I think, especially when combined with their power plant regulation and some of these other things, that's when the rubber's really going to start meeting the road. Well, think about it. Put, Put the two together. Electrification of the vehicle fleet. We've got about 6% penetration, but actually about 1% of the cars in the roads in America are electric, if you include trucks. They want to go to 60 in, what, 10 years? They also want us to completely eliminate our hydrocarbon-based uh, electricity generation, including natural gas, which means they're doubling the, the electricity load. At the same time, they're having mm-hmm. the reliable electricity generation that's a recipe for disaster, catastrophe. You pick a word, it's there. And, 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 and they think somehow that this is going to save, re- reduce global average carbon dioxide emissions to the right. point where it, it's not about that. And I'm really pleased to see people starting to call it what it is, yeah. an agenda, Yeah. Right. And that's really what it, it's a it's an organizing principle for the left to do it what they want to do, which is to reorder society in the manner for which they see fit. Right. Period. Which, which End of story. Which they've been trying to do for decades. They do it through things like smart cities, and these other these other things that never took hold. And it's all a branding exercise, yeah. right? What did they get? I mean, whenever they got that endangerment finding, which was um, the legal finding that. CO2 could be regulated from the tailpipes of cars. Um, yeah, no. They, well, they, they, yes, but they, but, but specifically, they, they said, well, absent a direct conversation or directive from the legislature, the U.S. Congress that should be doing its job, the EPA can regulate CO2 as a pollutant. And that is what they're using right. for their agenda across the board. Right. They're attempting to do it with tailpipes, but they might have a difficult time in the courts because of changes in the courts, and, and especially how they interpret the deference that they've given to the regulatory state. So we could win in the courts on these issues, and there are cases that literally this week on this issue to decide whether or not this is a major question, mm-hmm. as whether the, that the regulators can completely upend the transportation landscape in this country. But I fear that even if we win in the courts, we lose because the government is saddling, is shoveling billions and billions of dollars in subsidies, taxpayer money, the stuff that you and I have to pay every April 15th, unless you're like me and procrastinate and do an extension, (laughs) and giving it to companies, foreign companies, 
big wind companies, big solar companies, big automobile companies. And I say shame on these companies for taking all this money and basically ignoring consumers, which is the whole point of the Save Our Cars Coalition, is that Americans should be free to choose. That's right, we are pro-choice <laughs> about the types of cars or trucks that best suit our needs, mm -hmm. not the ones that Washington is dictating to the automobile companies what they should make. So let's talk about the coalition. What is it? What do you want to achieve with it? How can people learn more about it? Save our, savecars.org is, so, the, is the website. Savecars.org. Save cars. Okay. And we've got 30, and we'll link to that in the, in the description. 33 organizations nationwide and state-based organizations are on board so far, and we're going to recruit more. We're going to keep growing and growing this list. And all of these organizations, with all the resources we have and the listeners we have, our job is to educate and, in, and, and encourage people to engage and, and push back against this agenda at the state level, at the federal level. And if you love your, if you love your Camaro or you love your Malibu or you love your Ford Escape or whatever, if you, you know, I don't know who if loves you do. your Ford Escape, but if you do, <laughs> hey, write the auto, write the CEOs, write Jim Farley and Ford, write Mary Barra at GM and say, hey, don't take away my ability to A, afford a car or take away my choices. My, my needs are specific. They're not, I don't live in a city. Even the CEO of Ford said, well, EVs aren't for everyone. If, if you use your car to make a living in, the, in Montana, you might not want one. But if you're really rich, it's your third or fourth car, and you live in a big city, and you, know, you make short little trips back and forth, then it's the ideal car for you. Well, describe how many Americans that is in this country. And who the heck is it for him to decide such exactly. things? Exactly. I mean, give me a break. So. Could, could, you, could you talk to folks a little bit about, you mentioned that, it's the, that automakers are partly to blame, but it's also government that's creating this situation. Of course. Industrial policy. What, what, is the, um, what's the, what is the thing that we're fighting Government-wise, like what's the regulation? Can you talk a little bit about the yes the okay. regulatory things There's, that are there are three key things right now in the future. There are lots of things in the past that they've done already to sort of set us on this path. But the three key things are one: the state of California declared that they want to ban the internal combustion engine sometime into the future. I think it's like twenty thirty-five. They're basing it on what what is a narrow provision in the Clean Air Act that gave the state of California the ability to create a smog protection rule that was more stringent than the federal level because they already had rules in place before the Clean Air Act. So the Congress gave them that ability to say, you know what, I'm going to petition the federal government to say, no, my problem with smog is so, smog is so severe that I need to be more stringent in California, specific to California. They're using that sliver of a loophole to say, you know what, the problem is so bad with CO2 now that they think they can regulate it as a pollutant that we're going to ban ICE, internal combustion engine vehicles, ICE vehicles, we call them. Okay, so Cal federal government has to grant them a waiver to do that. Obviously, the Biden administration is happy for them to, to do that because this is what they want. Mm -hmm. So that's the California piece. Federal piece is two things, as you mentioned. Can can we talk just a moment more about the California Please. piece? Because I want folks to understand that this is a um, a tactic that has been used in the past to get 
these far this leftist envi- radical environmentalist agenda going is use California as a test case. And because the California market is so large, it can really have an impact on the whole. That's right. On the whole American market. Automakers auto don't want to make two sets of cars, right. some for California, some for the rest, right? Like that's their, their beef with this is we, eventually we want one program, right? So um, the federal piece is two parts. Uh, first, you mentioned the transportation department, uh, the highway, tra- uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Tran- Transportation or Transit Association. In the 70s, because we were running out of oil. Allegedly. Congress said, we got to do something about this. Let's, let's strive to make automobiles more fuel efficient. So they created this CAFE program, Corporate Average Fuel Economy Program, where they said, in the name of reducing our dependence on foreign oil, we will encourage the, the automobile industry to make more efficient cars, fuel efficient cars. So, so long as they don't disrupt the market. That's literally in the rule. And secondly, there's federal preemption. In other words, states can't do their own. That's in that law. So they use that law to ratchet up, 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 up the average fuel economy numbers so high that the automakers will have no choice but to make electric vehicles because it's an average of all the cars that they make. So for every electric vehicle they make, they can make an SUV and make some, actually make some money, right? For every two or three or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's part one. Part two is EPA. And we all know EPA is the 800 pound gorilla in the economy. It's the environmental, you know, whatever agency. It's the economy, you know, polluting agency or whatever. They are using the Clean Air Act and, as you mentioned, Mass V EPA, the endangerment finding, to say, it's so CO2 is so bad that we have to eliminate it in tailpipes. And so we, we are we are basically setting up a, a, a construct that requires the automakers to generate 60% of all their cars to be electric by a certain date. So to combine all three of those and you see all of this pressure to for the auto companies to say, you know what, I, if I can't beat them, I'll join them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at now. They, to their credit, they said this rule is way this rule is way a bridge too far, but they really didn't help themselves because earlier, during the Trump administration, when we and others were trying to fix this, they weren't there to help. Mm-hmm. They just figured, oh well, Trump's going to fix it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to associate myself with the guy, but I'm happy that he'll fix my problem. Mm-hmm. So if the automo- automakers fought earlier and harder and stronger on this and said, the law says it has to be market, it has to be with mar- within market reason, right? But they didn't. They went along with the subsidies. And here, here's where we are now. And that's why we're, we're joint fighting and, and put this coalition together because we have to fight this. Mm-hmm. We have to fight this for folks. And this is why we exist, right? This is why Heritage and, and IR and all these think tanks are here. We're about freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and of all the issues I work on, this is personal to me, too, because I remember, like, when I got my first car. I'm what like, was your first car? A Pontiac Grand Prix, baby, and it was two doors. Uh-huh. It was white, and it was glorious. <laughs> Every time I hit the gas pedal, I was like, 
dude, this is an awesome car. I love it. What year so, was that? Oh, man. It had to be in the 80s. Oh, we we loved the Grand Prix. We were Pontiac guys yeah, in my family. Oh, absolutely. My brother had a Well, Grand we're Prix. a GM family. My parents worked in the assembly line in oh, wow. Western New York. So all the cars we ever bought. But you know what? Mary Barra's, she's changing that company. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't think it's for the better. No, so. I agree. Yeah. But love the Grand Prix. Sorry, I just no, no, was Grand great. Prix. Yeah. John, what so, was your first car? A '69 Firebird. Of course, it was four-speed transmission. A, 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 the motor I bought. I think my dad was giving my first lesson. It was in bad shape, so the first thing I had to do was go get a 350 engine out of a junkyard and learn how to put it in. So we did. We put in a lot of engine and transmissions into into GTOs, Firebirds, Le Mans. Oh, you name it. So did we were '69 Firebird still have the stubby nose, didn't it? It didn't. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was the the sixty seven through sixty nine was that that older body style. Yeah. I love that thing. It was a piece of junk, but man, did I love that car. <laughs> That's awesome. Probably yep. worth eighty nine thousand oh, dollars. Right probably now. now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How about you, Jacko? What was your first car? <laughs> it was a Oldsmobile Cutlass. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that my Cutlass is the best. It was that, a hand me down, right? That my beloved grandmother. Yep. God rest her soul, gave me and uh, had. Um, you know, was it velour? You know that they used to make seats out of. Oh wow! Those awesome. uh, bench seats in the Benches, front. Benches, yeah, baby. Had power steering. You could <laughs> turn that puppy with your finger. Nice. <laughs> I had. See a... what I mean, guys? <laughs> I mean, cars I... are part of our lives. Yep. You know. I had a '69 Olds Cutlass that I bought for a hundred bucks back in the day when I, you know, needed something to drive around, and my buddy's like, oh, "The choke on the carburetor is sticking. Just, just go get the thing." And we took a little can of carburetor spray and. That thing was one of my favorite cars of all time. Just it was they're awesome cars. All right, we're gonna get back to saving our cars, but this is fun for me. Now, John, what's your favorite car you ever had? Ooh, wow. Uh we called it the circus car. It was a sixty five GTO. God, you had some four, nice yeah, cars. Seriously. But it was it wasn't a great but the guy who owned it fixed it up with this crazy paint job and I got it in later in its life but it was still so much fun so we would drive down to the Jersey Shore down to Wildwood and people would see the car hey Tony hey it's your car and it was like it driving wasn't to his the car Jersey anymore. Shore and GTO. GTO yeah <laughs> when did, uh, running into Snooky in the situation <laughs> baby <laughs> did you ever have a roadrunner no I never did Mopar oh. uh, you man. know you know what we used to say about Mopar what it stands for what? More odd parts arranged ridiculously. We yeah. had we have one for everything. Yeah. I want to get yeah. you into yeah. that. That's really getting back. Um, yeah, all right. What was your favorite car? So I bought a Saab when it was brand new, like the early turbo oh, stuff, yeah. and nice. it was a really nice car. It was when they they bought they were bought by GM. So I still stuck to the GM family. Yeah, I loved that car. It was fun. The problem with it though, it would fart. <laughs> Literally. Like for some reason, those early turbos had this weird, oh. like sulfur, yeah, em like emission, and yep. it would kind of like work its way into the airflow, <laughs> and it'd be like, poof, and you get this, and like, so my wife would be like, I, actually, it might have been my girlfriend at the time, but she's like, dude, your car farts, it's so disgusting. <laughs> I'm like, it does not, but I knew it did because I could smell it too. <laughs> so dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Car that farts. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I, my favorite car. <laughs> Probably my, I have two, I would say. My my first new car, my mother bought it for me, was a uh, 91 Honda CRX. Right. Nice. I loved that car. 
I love it more now in retrospect than I did at the time. I didn't appreciate it. But I also have a uh, a vehicle that I have now is a Nissan Titan pickup truck that I have painted. Well, I had painted in um, Bedliner all over. Oh, man. Nice. And so I drive a lot in the woods. Yeah. And yeah, I don't worry about scratches and no. yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So uh, that's my favorite. But vehicle. you know what? Here, The story here is we all chose cars that like yeah worked for us right mm-hmm. was in our price range or yep. you know and and you know as you get older like now i got a big old suv because i got three kids and you know i mean i remember when uh, barack obama president obama was doing all this stuff and he was on the stump one day and someone said well what about me i got like five kids how, who, how am i going to get them around it they don't make ev <laughs> minivan swagger wagons you know <laughs> So this whole agenda is, is again, it's about an ideology. It's about reordering society. It's about power. It's about control. And we, the Save Our Cars Coalition, I don't know anyone out there who is as organized as we are right now and pushing back against this. And so we just need to really save cars.org. We really need more organizations. If you're, if, if you're listening and you, you join coalitions, give us a call. Um, cause we need now more than ever, we need to mobilize against this, this, this agenda. I want to, in, in our last few minutes here, I want to go through and give people some information about, about EVs. And I, w- I want to be careful here cause I, I'm not anti EV. Me neither. I want people, if EVs are cool, then get an EV here, here before I get into that, one of the really, um, sad parts about this whole subsidized to success agenda, whether it's EVs or wind or renewables or whatever, is that what these bozos don't, don't understand is they're not helping these technologies. The best way for EVs to move forward is to get out of the way. Like there are companies out there who want to build EVs. There are people out there who want to buy them. You want your EVs to be competitive with internal combustion engines, get out of the way and let them go compete and you'll get EVs. That just Well, like, you'll get you know, a market solution right right now. Like what's the perfect compromise? In my view, plug-in hybrids, right? You can yeah. you can have your EV, you can you can run your your battery when you're doing your little quick trips. But when you're ready to take a, a road trip in this great vast country of ours, you switch it over right. to the engine where it's reliable, where you got the infrastructure and everything else. But the government isn't letting that right. work. It's, or it's it could pushed. be something else totally. Exactly. That's, who knows? Exactly. And, and that's the other part about it that drives me absolutely crazy is markets sort these things out right. way better than like the government picking something that they're betting on. And most of the time they're betting on it because their donors want it. Right. Yeah. It's being driven by, you know, a lot of people who are in that, you know, in that political environment. Right. So, so let's give the folks some, some information. Um, do you, do you have information about, about like, the environmental friendliness of EVs, you know, they're often painted as being environmentally friendly. Do you, are they like what? No, it's, on it's a wash. It, in my view, it's a wash. If not, you know, there might be a slight advantage if you hang on to your EV over a, like a long period of time and, and possibly squeeze. It's like an iPhone, right? If you plug it in the proper way, like you let it run down to zero and then recharge it, you know, you get more life out of the battery. But where are you going to put all these things? The, the entire net zero agenda, which is partly this is part of of having no carbon emissions, is about transferring 
uh, our economy and our energy system and our economy from hydrocarbons, which, by the way, we have more than anybody else in the world under our lands and waters, to a minerals and materials-based energy and their, therefore economy. That's all it is. It's a transfer of one form of making power to another. So you're either going to drill or you're going to dig. And both have trade-offs, mm-hmm. right? Both have environmental implications. You, you talk about uh, disposal, where you're putting all these batteries. They're sl- it, it's toxic, mm-hmm. right? When you have an EV fire and you're hearing about all these fires out in like the ocean liners and, and, and they are chemical fires, mm-hmm. right? Which you can't put out, right? Fire, fire departments all over the country where there's a penetration of these are complaining mightily about it. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm saying let's be real about the, you know, this is not free, and by the way, when you plug in your EV in China, guess what, what's powering your, your battery? Coal, right? And China's been doing this for a long time. And, and let me get into this real quick because this is a national security issue. We want to take what we have and what we produce here to make energy and lock it up and replace it with stuff that we don't make. We have, but we don't make because... The same people that don't want us to produce oil don't want us to drill or mine, I should say. 80% of that whole supply chain is controlled by one country. China? Good. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. You guessed it. And that, if even if it was a friendly country, that's not good for our national security. Right. But it's China. So we're literally, our energy policy in this country is lock up our stuff and let China supply us with their stuff so that they can shut it down or turn it off whenever they feel like it. Yeah, literally, and this is, I, I know this from the work that, that IER has done, we have hundreds and hundreds of years worth of gas, oil, and coal, like there. That pe- here's, here's something that just irritates me to no end. These things are presented as being dirty sources of energy. They are not. They... They have perhaps in the past been burned and used in ways that were not environmentally friendly, but that's not the case anymore. That's right. You go along the line of all of the, all of the actual pollutants that EPA looks at, they're all going down while we're using more of this stuff. And there's more people. And there's more people. That's right. And we're richer. And we could even be richer as a, as a population because of hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons, you said that there are, gives in, that, that there are pros and cons. Or, I guess technically that's the case, but the truth is you can drill for oil and not have a huge impact on the environment. It's very environmentally. Uh, the uh, footprint is much lower than right. renewables, for example, the land use. And then once you're um, done, you reclamate, you know, you, you reclaim the, Right. I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned, I and, mentioned. And I'm for mining too. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't mine. Even mining, Tom, the, I, I have a handful of acres in West Virginia, beautiful woods. It was a coal mine. All reclaimed land. All reclaimed. And you know what it's full of right now? It's full of bucks and bears and turkeys and a couple of guys with guns. I'm coming over for dinner. (laughs) It's so fun. (laughs) And like we, those companies extracted all of those resources that all, that helped lift thousands of people out of poverty. 
And then they put it back and grew awesome That's woods right. there. That's right. I mean, come yeah. on. That's why you're so mad, because <laughs> this is the real story, right? This is the story, and the story that you hear and the story that, you know, the other side likes to paint is that this is all evil and, dis and, and terrible, and we need to get off of it. And it's a global phenomenon. It's a West... It's the it's the elites in the West and the in Europe and and the United States um, who are literally, literally keeping people, other people in other parts of the world impoverished because of their high and mighty, uh, you know, agenda. So, one last thing I want to bring up. This is uh, just something I want folks to know about, and I anticipate you can speak to this at least a little bit. One of the traditional allies of Democrats is auto workers and unions and those kinds of folks. I shouldn't say those. And, and those folks. They aren't big fans of all this either, are they? Well, they aren't. And, you know, there's always been this sort of gap between the union workers themselves and the leadership of the unions, right? But even like the UAW right now, they're locked in a big strike situation. Because they want all kinds of guarantees that the quote transition to electric vehicles isn't going to displace union workers in the in the Michigans and, and you know the union states, but it's going to, because if you're making this stuff and you're starting from scratch, you're building your plants in Georgia, mm -hmm. you're building your plants in Tennessee, and also that's a marketing strategy for these guys too. Because if they're going to build this stuff in red states, then they're going to try to you know pick off Republicans. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're, the unions are getting the shaft mm -hmm. in this deal, uh, in this conversion to electricity, because, you know, these companies are partnering with Chinese battery companies. So, you know, we're outsourcing. We're still even if we put a plant here, we're still partnering with Chinese companies. Mm -hmm. That can't be good. Right. So there's look again, no problem with EVs. Personally, if you want to buy one, great. If you want to own one and put like smug on your license plate, you can do that. I'm going to buy my gas and write smog on mine. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, listen, this is, I, this is why I worry about this, because I, a lot of people in the conservative movement say, well, we're going to win in the courts anyway. But we, we could win in the courts and still lose if the auto companies play ball yeah. and decide, you know what, too bad. Because if they make decisions five and ten years down the road, not right. one and two years down the road. So we got to fight this. We got to educate folks. We got to get folks engaged, and we got to we, we got to. This coalition needs to, you know, really be nimble and be able to move with all the different, you know, parts of this of this agenda. So tell us again where to find out more about Save Our Cars. Savecars.org because I couldn't buy Save Our Cars. So Savecars.org, uh, and you'll see every one of the members of the coalition are listed there. Uh, a lot of good information, a lot of ways that they can participate, write their reps, write the uh, owners of the auto companies. And that's just the beginning. We're going to do a whole lot more with this coalition, and we're, we're grateful that Heritage is on board. Absolutely. Are you on Twitter or so At anything? Tom J. Pyle. All right. And how about IER? At IER Energy. All right. Yep. People should go th to those places too, right? Yes, sir. They definitely should. Yes, sir. I get a lot of information from IER. I, I'm grateful for all that, that you do. So there you go, folks. Thank you to everyone who took some time out of your day to listen to the Power Hour. And please, if you enjoyed this podcast, tell your friends, families, and colleagues to check us out. And email us. Email me. I want to hear from you. Tom, John, any final words? 
For me, uh, we will put Tom's web web address and his Twitter, his handles, all in the show notes for you as well. Can we also put a picture of him as a strapping sixteen year old young man? <laughs> Can we put him in my in my Grand Prix? Pictures I'll of go our, look our first for it. Car. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'll put a picture of the. <laughs> yes, of the I actually car. was in a. Um, in a showroom in Houston and sat in a Tesla and like stuck my hand out and waved and that's on my Twitter. That's the, so I see, I like EVs too, right? So. Wait, I, I need to ask one more question about a car, then I'm gonna close this thing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. If you could buy, if you could get one car, what would it be? Oh man, uh, I'd have to think about that for a little bit. My retirement car, my midlife crisis car, yeah. I don't know, it's gotta be probably a, I know, because it's going to be so cliche, but maybe a Corvette. Uh -huh. It would just yeah. be so cool. Do you, do you have a year? <laughs> no. All right. no. I don't have a year. John? 63 split window Corvette, maybe? They uh, only made them one year, didn't they? Yeah, it's for 63. That's, that's out of my price range. Yeah. yeah. All of it. No, for me, it's going to be a car. Like we said, requirement car is one that I can just work on, you know, change plugs and points and, and play around with it, you know. In, it doesn't have to be something high end. It could be an old Le Mans or a Mustang. Change whatever. your own oil yeah, and get up and yeah. underneath there. I love it. It's, That's well, I need yep. a car that John can work on because I can do a lot of things. Work on cars ain't one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know what mine is. I've it's had the a same lost one. art. It is. It is. I've yep. had the same car that I've wanted since I was six years old and say 1983 or 84. Porsche Carrera, also cliche. Oh, no. God, those things. Red, <laughs> convertible, suck. Turbo wait. Carrera or just the Carrera? Uh, definitely the turbo. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. That's I'm, a good that's a Save our cars, I'm folks. not a peasant. <laughs> save our cars. We should be free to choose. That's right. Free to, we're pro-choice. Exactly. So thank you, John. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for being a guest. Most importantly, thank all of you all for listening. We will see you next time.